How's everybody doing? Good. I wore my red and blue today. Happy uh, Fourth of July weekend. My wife said this was okay, even though it was loud. So if it's distracting, sorry. Uh, hey, my name is Mark, and it's uh, it's really, really, really good to be together. Not because I'm up here and you're out there, but because we're together, and that's just a good thing, and I love it uh, so much. We're in part two of a series on forgiveness, and it's kind of tricky, it's kind of sticky, it's kind of messy, but we're going to keep uh, going. If you missed last week, you can jump on our website, gracepointtopeka.org, and check it out. If you don't want to check it out, that's no problem, that's good. I'll give you the quick Cliff Notes versions. Here's a couple of lines that maybe were kind of key ones from uh, last week. Forgiveness is hard. Vulnerability is hard because we don't like people poking around our wounds. We just don't like it. It's a tough place to let people operate near. So um, that's a piece of it. The other piece of it is unforgiveness. We actually talked maybe more about unforgiveness than forgiveness last week. Unforgiveness has no place in the gospel. Because you can't be right with a father with a heart that's unforgiving. You just can't do it. It's impossible. You're separated from God if that's where you're trying to operate from. So uh, we're going to dive into a piece of scripture in the Old Testament today in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 15. So if you want to go find it, it's going to be a couple minutes before we get there. But Judges 15, you can kind of keep that page, keep that tab, and we'll be there here in just a bit. Uh, At the end of church last week, someone caught me and gave me, I thought was a pretty cool definition that they had heard years ago. Uh, about forgiveness. And it's not, you know, it's like not like some Bible verse or anything like that. We couldn't even find who quoted it, but he said someone told it to him years ago, and I thought it was uh, pretty fitting for where we're going today. And this is it. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. That's pretty good. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. So again, last week was kind of about what forgiveness is, like biblically a little bit. It was about what, like what unforgiveness does to us, it keeps us separated from that person, but ultimately it keeps us separated from God. So forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. We'll dive a little bit more into that uh, later. Maybe you finished last week, you were here, and you said, yeah, Mark, I get that. That's great. The Bible tells, tells me a lot about forgiveness, and God commands forgiveness, and I understand that, that like, it pleases God, and yes, 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 and I can check all those boxes. I want to do it. It sounds like it's a really worthwhile endeavor, but I just can't seem to. I just can't do it. Uh, They made me too mad. They hurt me too bad. I just can't bring myself uh, to forgive them. So if that's you, like, cool, we're going to get there. I think the Bible gives us kind of a secret sauce to, to overcome that, that you can forgive even when you're just not sure how and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you keep bumping up against it. So we'll get there here in just a bit. Uh, real quick, here's what forgiveness is not. A few things here. Forgiveness is not fair. <laughs> forgiveness just isn't, it just isn't fair uh, hang on to that thought for just a moment. Here's where our text is going to go. Judges chapter 15 starts us in kind of in the middle of a story. I'm going to give you some context for where it begins before we get to that story. So Samson is an Israelite, and he is a big, strong dude, with, and he's kind of crazy ridiculous, and he's kind of stubborn, and he's really, really passionate. He's kind of driven by his passions. And he was born into this Nazarite vow that says, I will live a life totally consecrated to God. But there comes a point in his life where he says, you know, I'm out on that. I don't want to do that anymore. He, he sees a Philistine woman, and the Philistines are the enemies of the Israelites. In fact, they kind of rule over the Israelites, and God has been very clear, don't mess with the Philistines. They're a pagan society. They want no part of serving me, and if you, kind of, if you combine with them, like, you can't keep this Nazarite vow. But Samson sees this Philistine woman, and he says, I mean, he wants that gal to be his wife. So he goes back to his parents and he says, hey, mom and dad, 
I found the gal I want you to go get for me. I know that seems weird to us, but that was their culture. The parents had to kind of arrange this to take place. He said, I found her. She's a Philistine, and my, oh, my, is she beautiful. He never even spoke to her, but he sure liked what he saw. So he said, I want her to be my wife. And his parents said, I think that's probably a bad idea. I mean, she's a pagan. She's a, she's a Philistine, so she's not serving the Lord. You can't keep your vow if you do that. And he says, yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. That's great. But I don't want all that. You know what I want? I want all that. Like, I want her. She is my jam, and I want, I, I want her. So parents finally kind of just, I don't know, lay over and say, all right. All right, we'll make this happen. So they go down this road, and they start the marriage process. The marriage process is a seven-day wedding feast. And at the beginning of this feast is like the betrothal, like the ceremony. Hey, do you? Yes, I do. It's kind of what we know as that, right? And then, and then there's seven days of just party and feast, and it's a long, like week-long deal. And at the end of that seven days, the way it was officially done was husband and wife then came together and consummated this baby, right? So that's how it worked. And somewhere towards the end of that seven-day process, they're in, their, they're in their like party phase, they're in their feast phase, and all the people are still gathered. Somewhere in the middle of that, Samson, who's this really uh, arrogant dude, he tells his buddies, the Bible calls them his companions, but he tells his friends, hey, I got this riddle, and I bet you can't get it, and he, he bets them whatever he bets them, and they, he says, there's no way you're going to get the, the answer to this, and they can't. They can't get the answer to it, and he's going to win this bet. But at some point, his bride-to-be, I mean, they're not officially at the end of the seven-day process yet, but they're like in it, so I'll just call, him, call her his bride. Uh, she just nags him and nags him and nags him and says, come on, I got to know the answer to this. And so he tells her because that's his bride, right? That's his gal. That's his trusted person. Like he's going to spend the rest of his life with her. So there's no secrets between us. So he tells her the answer to this riddle. This is really in the Bible. It's crazy. And then she goes and tells the fellas, and he ain't happy. I mean, he is mad, as mad, as mad can be. He actually leaves. I mean, he bails his own wedding party, his own wedding feast. He's almost to the end. He's about ready to, like, officially make her his. And he's just so mad that he's been had, that he's been, you know, sold out by his gal, that he just bails. He's gone. So that's where we pick up this story in Exodus. In Judges chapter 15, verse 1. Let's do it. Here we go. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into, uh, into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion." Is not your younger sister, her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Recap. Samson leaves his party. He goes and pouts for a while. He's gone. And at some point, he cools off. We don't know when. It just says some days. So he comes, comes back. He cools off. He says, All right, I'm ready to have my wife. And what he really means is I'm ready to have my wife, right? I'm ready to go into the chamber with her and consummate this baby. And her father, or her dad says, sorry. Oops. Like, sorry. Like, dude, honestly, bro, we thought like you hated her. We thought you were totally disgusted with her. We'd never see you again. And you don't want any part of continuing this relationship with her. So I kind of already gave her away. And I know it sounds like kind of makes it sound like she's just property, but I kind of already gave her away to another guy now. So sorry, but you're in luck. Like, her little sister's really pretty. 
Like she's, she's actually prettier than her. So I'll, I'll, you know, you can just have her instead. And, you know, by the way, fathers, if you have multiple daughters and someone says, which one's the prettiest? What's the only right answer? All of them, right? Both of them are the prettiest. But this father didn't know this. So, I, I, you know, here we are. She's pretty. Take her instead. Samson doesn't want to. He wants no part of this. He is just fuming angry. And he says, whatever, they, whatever comes of them, they deserve it. Whatever comes of these people, they get what they get. They have brought it on themselves. I am innocent of it. Let's keep going. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Three hundred foxes. He caught with his bare hands 300 foxes. I mean, this dude is a maniac of all maniacs, right? I have so many questions, but they start with how do you catch 300 foxes? And they also land somewhere, and how do you get them to turn like rear end to rear end and just like, like at attention so I can light their tails on fire? I don't know the answers to that. I, I have no idea, but he did it. So he puts them all tail to tail. He lights, you ever heard like, we need to light a fire under their rear end, right? Like, can you imagine how fast a fox runs with a torch following it, right? I mean, I mean, so you're seeing 300 foxes just, and so like, just like that, he destroys their village. I mean, he sets fire to these foxes, off they go, and the damage has been done. Here's verse six. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And I don't really fully understand what that means other than he was just this big old strong dude and body blows were enough to defeat people. And he went uh, down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So to get back at Samson, the Philistines, who are not good people, God said, stay away from him, burned his wife and his father-in-law. I mean, he burned their village. I'm not condoning that, right? Like he burned their stuff. He burned their grain. He burned their way of life. And they literally burned these people with fire, right? It is an ugly, ugly ugly scene. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up uh, to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you know, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. Dude, Samson, you're making life really, really hard for us. Don't you know they rule over us? You do know that, right? You're making this really, really ugly for us. Like, what gives? And they are Samson's people. The Philistines aren't the ones who confronted him. The men of Judah confronted him. They're Samson's people. And still, they thought he was such a maniac. He was so crazy. He was so strong. He was so hard to defeat that they took 3,000 of them to confront him. Because when you know somebody's dangerous... You go in force, right? All right, when I was in my uh, early 20s, Tara and I were newlyweds. I was 22. We were both college students, and I worked overnight at the Kansas Juvenile 
correctional complex, right? I was a jailer, I guess. I worked overnights, and it was usually pretty calm. When I went in, it was 11 o'clock for my shift, and like these dudes were already already in their, their cells, and the lights were already out, and they were supposed to be like asleep, and some of them weren't, but that's, like, it was pretty chill. No one was out in the yard. There was no, nothing crazy happening. We were just there while they slept because you had to be, and that was that. But one night when I went in uh, for shift change, every available officer was standing outside one cell, and this guy was like six, seven, probably weighed 350 pounds, and he was daring officers to come get him out after he had flooded his cell and the unit with the contents of his toilet. Blech, right? I mean, he had flooded this place, and he was literally on the other side of the door saying, come on, come on. And he had already been pepper sprayed twice. And so he was, he was strong as an ox and mad as a fox with her tail on fire, right? <laughs> and so... My job as a regular dude was just kind of to be there, but if anything crazy happened, I was also on the cell extraction team. Oops, <laughs> right? So the way this worked was it was a team of five people, and we would get in full tactical gear and helmets and, and padding and all the stuff, right? And, and we'd march in there one by one by one, like in this kind of militant way. And the person in the front of the line was your biggest, your strongest, your baddest dude. And he went in there, this, bl- this big plexi shield, and his job was to ram that shield at him and either put him straight to the ground with it or at least pin him against the wall so that that offender could no longer fight back and he was kind of you know, stuck there. He couldn't flail and swing and all that stuff. Because ultimately, we needed to get him on the ground, on his stomach, get handcuffs behind his back, and get leg shackles around his ankles, and that's, you know, that's the end of it. So that's the, the first guy that goes in does that. The second guy that goes in is the smallest guy. Guess who got that job? <laughs> yeah, right? I got that job. So my job as the smallest dude is to dive for the nearest leg and never let go. <laughs> right? It's like when your, kids are, when your kids are toddlers and they want to take a ride on daddy's foot, right? And you're just walking, you're walking. I mean, he was kicking me all over the place. It was, but that was my job. Do not let go. Grab a leg. And then people behind me each had a job too. The next one had a leg. The next one had an arm. Okay. So that was our job. So we went and we geared up. We came back to his door. Let me remind you, his cell is flooded with the contents of his toilet. The unit's flooded. He's totally naked. And he has lathered himself up with soap <laughs> just to make it interesting so that we can't get a hold of him, right? It was the worst thing ever. And we fought him for like three hours. It was probably 30 seconds, but we fought him forever. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was terrible. And, I, and every, time that, like, every time I hear a story or read of Samson or someone mentions Samson, I think of that guy. And I think to myself... I don't know how big and strong Samson was, but he wasn't that big and strong. Like, nobody's that big and strong and naked, right? So, <laughs> but we got him, and it, after, after, you know, a couple of minutes of a struggle, we, we got him down. It wasn't, wasn't all that terrible. But when you meet great resistance, when you meet great strength, when you meet, like, all this, you have to go in force. And I just can't overstate this idea that they took 3,000 men to confront this guy. I mean, he was that big. He was that strong. He was that, he was that scary. 3,000 
men. And his response to them, because these were his guys, right? They were just saying, hey, the Philistines aren't happy. He just said, hey, I'm just going to do to them what they did to me. That's what they, that's what they deserve. That's what's fair. But forgiveness isn't fair. We just got done saying a few minutes ago, right? Forgiveness is not fair. And I'm so glad, like we are so glad when God's not fair, like to us, like he's always just, but he's not always fair. Because if God was always fair, I would get what my sins deserve. So he's always just, but he's not always fair. And that's to our benefit. Psalm uh, 103, 10 through 12. I love this so, so, so much. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, far as, uh, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Forgiveness is not fair. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Here's another thing forgiveness isn't. It's not forgetting. Like whoever said that like, you know, to forgive and forget was a, total moron. Like, who does that? Like, you can't just forget. You can't, like, wipe it from your brain and strike it from the record as though it never, ever, ever happened with no memory and no recollection. Like, I just don't think it's possible. It's not saying the offense never happened. It's not just sweeping it under the rug. It's not saying that person wasn't completely wrong or completely sinful. It's not just saying I'm going to be a doormat the rest of my life. I just don't think it works like that. It's not saying I'm going to let the abuse just continue. Like, I don't think it's any of that stuff. You can actually forgive and still create healthy boundaries. You can forgive somebody and say, yes, I've let it go. Afiemi, which is the Greek word for forgiveness we looked at last week, which is the kind of forgiveness that sets you free as the forgiver. Like you can move on. I've let it go. Afiemi. You can do that, but, it's, but forgiveness, like, like trust isn't just sudden. It takes time to rebuild trust to get back to the place where you were before. You can forgive and still protect yourself. So if you've been not forgiving because you wanted to protect yourself, can we, free of you? can we free you of that? I think it's possible. In fact, I think it's necessary to still protect yourself. One more thing, forgiveness isn't. It's not easy. I mean, easy is anger, right? Samson found bitterness easy. He found resentment, revenge. You know, it's, you know, it's easy as like to, to, to plot, like the next time I see them, the next time I talk to them, here's what I'm gonna do, here's what I'm gonna say. Like, cause that's what they deserve. And this was so personal for Samson, right? It was so, so, so personal. This was the gal he was gonna marry. And it's so personal for us. But somewhere underneath this story of this like bigger than life guy with this crazy, ridiculous strength and this, you know, long, 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 long hair and this crazy story, somewhere underneath that at its core, is just a dude who thought that people, somebody should pay for the wrong done to him. Just a guy who thought someone should pay for the wrong done to him. So easy is getting even. But getting even cost Samson everything. It did, it cost him, cost him everything. A chapter later, uh, he eventually dies as a man full of hatred and full of uh, selfishness and revenge in his heart after killing countless, 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 countless people. And I just wonder, this isn't biblical, I just wonder if he had just got to the point where he could offer Afiemi, what it might have changed? I mean, what could have been saved? Who could have been saved if he'd have been set free through extending his own forgiveness? Now, I assume, it, it doesn't feel like a stretch to assume that most of us in here aren't gonna like, this unforgiveness in our hearts is not gonna turn to murder. <laughs> I hope so. 
I shouldn't laugh about that, right? I assume that's probably not our next, our next step, but I do want you to feel the weight of this if you can, and I can't really implore you, and I can't manufacture it, but I hope you catch it in Scripture. Like, the unforgiveness in your heart is causing you a big, big mess because, as I said last week, you can't be right with the Father with unforgiveness in your heart, and that's a big deal. Forgiveness isn't easy. If it were, the Bible wouldn't have to command us to do it. <laughs> it would just, we would just do it. It'd be our natural inclination to do it. The Bible wouldn't say it over a hundred times. Hey, forgive, forgive, forgive. It's not easy. It's not fair. It's not forgetting. And it certainly isn't easy. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. But I think it's even more rudimentary than that. Forgiveness, again, refresher from last week, is just offering to others what God has offered to us. What has God offered us? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive not fair, but just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This forgiveness that God offers us, that cleanses us from all of our wrongdoing, that we can stand rightly before a perfect God, even in our imperfection. It's a big, big, big deal. In other words, forgiveness... Like the gospel isn't just receiving forgiveness. The gospel is giving forgiveness. It's not just being the recipient of God's grace, but it's giving God's grace to others. Let me say it like this. Forgiveness to you, Christ follower, is, 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 is not just to flow to us. Forgiveness is to flow through us, right? This is our charge as a Christ follower as we forgive. It's undeserved mercy. It's undeserved grace. It's undeserved goodness to us that continues to flow through us. So let me ask you a question. How's your flow? How's your flow? Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You really want to pray that? Like, God, I, I hope that you'll forgive me the same way that I'm forgiving others. Would you, God, would you, Lord, forgive me just as I forgive those who trespass against me? If, if this puts you in a precarious spot, I would, I would suggest to you, maybe it's time to get your as in gear. I'm going to get emails about that one for sure. <laughs> How's your flow? How's your flow? I didn't make it very personal last week. We talked about forgiveness, and you probably had your own thoughts as I was speaking. You probably had people you were thinking of. You probably had you know, your own unique circumstances you were attaching it to, but, but now I'm going to make it a little bit personal, and I know it's tricky. I know I'm going to start to step into that stuff that's pretty near to that wound. We don't want people touching our wounds. I get that. But who betrayed you? Now you can start thinking about them. Like who lied to you? Who lied maybe about you? Who mistreated you? Who took advantage of you? Who broke your trust? Was it a roommate? Was it your spouse? An ex-spouse? Your parent? Your own child? Was it your teacher or a coach or a stepbrother or a stepsister or a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle or a bully or a pastor? Was it a trusted authority figure? Was it a boyfriend who lied to you, got what he wanted from you, and then lied about you afterwards? Who betrayed you? And maybe, maybe you've forgiven them but it just doesn't seem to work. It just doesn't seem to stick. You're not sure how to like, like move past it. It's like, that, it's like that, that piece of tape, that lint on the floor when you're vacuuming that doesn't come up. That guy's that big, he's right there. 
vacuuming. I mean, you're using perfect technique, right? Your rhythm's good. You're there, and he just still doesn't come up, so what do you do? Go at it from a different angle, right? And we're vacuuming this way. We start to press into the carpet a little bit harder. And if you're like me, you even like, how do I get pressure on top of the vacuum? So you put your foot on it. So now you're doing this, right? And he, that little booger's still there. So you're like, well, I guess I'll try one more angle. And now you're doing it with all your mind, right? You're just going like kamikaze on this thing. And it's still just there like taunting you. So what's the only option you got now? You pick it up. You stare at it, say some bad things to it, and then what do you do? You put it right back down, right? That's what I do. I know. Someone said throw it away. That would be a great idea. You put it right back down because you want just one more go at it, right? Like I think, yeah, I'm going to get you because now I've loosened it off the carpet. So now I should be good to go, right? This is, this is the same way that forgiveness eludes some of us, right? So in the book of Luke chapter 17, I love this story. Like Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, some things are going to be hard. You're going to experience disappointment. You're going to experience hurt. You're going to experience like your brother's going to betray you. Your brother, your sister's going to betray you. And the things that will cause somebody to stumble will surely come your direction. And he says, but hey, listen, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother, uh, if your brother sits, and in other words, hey, listen, don't just let it go. Don't just walk away from it as though it never happened. Like we are Christ followers. We should be seeking peace. We should be seeking reconciliation. We should be trying to do things right. Don't just let it go as though it never happened. Our goal is peace and reconciliation. Here it keeps going. And if he repents, forgive him. Release them. And then Jesus says something like, like really incredibly challenging. He says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now I'm thinking if I'm the disciple seven times in a day, if you were here last week, we talked about Jesus and Peter's like conversation. And he said, hey, I know I'm only required by the Talmud to, to, like, to ask for forgiveness, like to extend forgiveness three times. But hey, I'll go with seven because that's awesome. Like, do you imagine he was talking about in a day? Like, Lord, I'll forgive that person like the first time, maybe, but like they get one try and then after that, shame on me. You've heard this before. But I'm like, maybe twice in my whole lifetime, but seven times in a day, that ain't happened. Seven times in a week ain't happened. And God, you want me to do it seven times in a day? And Jesus is saying, yes, because forgiveness has no limits. But you go, well, that's great, Lord, but I do. I got limits. Like, I can only take so much. And now what you're asking me, God, is well beyond my capacity. And in verse 5, I've taken this verse way out of context so many times in my life. The apostles give a brilliant, brilliant response. Jesus has just said, hey, forgive them. Not once, not twice, not seven times in a day. If they come to you with a repentant heart and they want forgiveness, you are to forgive them over and over and over. And they said, and here's the secret sauce I spoke of. It's really this simple. Okay, Lord, well, I guess then increase my faith. Because I can't do it. I guess, I guess increase my faith because what you're asking is well beyond what I can do. And it doesn't mean it feels good. It doesn't mean you feel gracious. You may not feel anything. But we don't walk by what we feel. We're not moved by our feelings, Christ follower. We're not moved by what we see. We are moved and we walk by faith, not by sight. In my flesh, I'm still angry. 
right? I still feel betrayed, but by faith, I'm choosing to offer to them what God has offered to me. Forgiveness might be a process. It might take a moment. It might take a long, long, long time. It takes faith to forgive. It takes faith to believe that there's something better on the other side of that offense than just your own resentment, your own unforgiveness, your own harm. You want a good marriage? I'm not an expert, by the way. It takes two really good forgivers. You want good friendships? It takes good forgivers. You want good, this one will prod a little, good sibling relationships? It takes good forgivers. In whatever relationship you're in, you have to be forgiven a lot, so you have to forgive a lot. Think about all the terrible things <laughs> that you've done that God's forgiven you for. You don't have to say them out loud, but I will. It's not all of them. This is a, this is a minuscule list. I've lied, I've stolen, I've cheated. I've had lustful thoughts. I've said hurtful or spiteful things about people for my own gain. I've hurt people with crazy amounts of selfishness for my own gain. I've manipulated. I could go on and on and on and on. And God has forgiven me over and over and over and over and over. I have been extended so much grace and so much forgiveness. It's because I need grace that I want to freely offer grace. Because I need to be forgiven so much, I need to freely offer forgiveness. It doesn't just flow to me. It should flow through me. And maybe today, maybe you're right on the edge of divorce because of a betrayal. And they just hurt you so bad. And maybe their betrayal, listen, I don't, I don't know your circumstances, I, I truly don't. Maybe your betrayal has legit biblical grounds to walk away. There's also space for forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you're considering never speaking to that sister ever again because of what she did, the way she hurt you, the way she spoke about you. There's space for forgiveness. Maybe the way that that friend or that ex like treated you leaves you feeling like legit, like entirely nauseous to even think about being in the same room as them. God, increase my faith. Increase my faith because I don't know how to do it. Maybe that one relationship shut you off to every future relationship. Maybe that one person who abused your trust has robbed you of trusting anyone. And listen, we can't change the past. Forgiveness isn't forgetting but I do think God wants to change your future. And I know they don't deserve it, but neither did you. And it doesn't seem fair, I get it, but forgiveness isn't fair. And man, oh man, oh man, I want to, but I just don't know how. Well, listen, forgiveness isn't easy. It takes faith to forgive. So Lord, increase our faith. Here's your application for this week. You ready? Forgive them. I mean, it's time. It's time. That unforgiveness in your heart, it just can't coexist with being right with the Father. It is time. You don't have to pretend it didn't happen. You don't have to pretend that it just just never, ever, ever happened. It won't feel fair. It won't be easy. You can't forget. But forgive them. And if you say, man, I want to, I want to, that sounds like a great next step. I want to, but I just can't. Great, I got a first step for you. God, increase my faith because it takes faith to forgive. 
Father, we love you. Uh, We glorify you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you demonstrated forgiveness to us when we were yet sinners. We were still sinners and you died for us, God. And as we make this personal for ourselves, as we think about the people who have hurt us or harmed us or caused distrust in us or whatever it may be, God, we make it personal. I pray, Father, that you would give us hearts to honor you. And if it just seems like too tall a task, if it just seems like it's just too big, it's too high a hill to climb, Father, would you give me the faith to take another step up that hill? And then would you give me a little more? And then would you give me a little more? Father, increase our faith so that we can be people who trust you, so that we can be people who are right with you. Lord, that unforgiveness in our hearts is not only keeping us separated from them, it's keeping us separated from you. And you don't want that for us. So if we come to this space and we say, Lord, I want to be right with you, we challenge us to do what it takes to be right with you. Pray, God, for the courage to take these steps. Pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would go before us and be beside us and be around us as we go into difficult conversations because forgiveness, it isn't fair. It isn't forgetting. It isn't easy. It takes faith. So we're trusting you today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, happy uh, holiday weekend to you. Go blow some stuff up, would you?